Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Fellowship Church. It's good to see you in person. And those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you've chosen to spend this hour with us. Um, happy fifth Sunday of Easter. We are still in the season of Easter as we celebrate Christ's resurrection and remember that it is because of Christ's resurrection that we too are being made new, being transformed into the image of our creator. This morning, our call to worship is coming from the book of Ephesians, and we're actually going to speak it to each other. Um, we'll, the words will be on the screen. You don't have to have it memorized, so that's all good. Um, and you all here on the north side of the sanctuary can speak the words with me. Everyone on the south side of the sanctuary can speak the words with Rod and Bev. And those of you online, you get to do whatever you would like to do. You can speak the whole thing if you would like. Um, so let's stand together, and then these words really are going to begin our time of worship, um, being rooted and established in the love that God has for us as God's people. Let's speak these words together. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. According to his power that is at work within us. And together, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing together. Beside me. 
You may be seated. Let's pray together. Almighty God, source of all mercies, we gather as a community to thank you for all your goodness and loving kindness, for your creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. But above all, we give you thanks for the immeasurable love you have shown us through Jesus Christ. But God, while we are thankful, we acknowledge that we do not always live out this love. Forgive us for when we have chosen to be selfish instead of generous, for when we have chosen to hoard riches for ourselves rather than care for others. Forgive us for those moments that we see others as less than instead of equal to. Lord, this morning we pray for the victims and their families who were involved in the shooting in Buffalo, New York. We continue to pray for peace in Ukraine. Lord, as a community here in this room, we lift up our own prayers to you. We ask that you would give us eyes to see all of this world as your creation, as something that you have called us to care for. Help us to see all people as brothers and sisters deserving of your love. And we pray that you would give us such an awareness of your spirit that with truly thankful hearts we may show your love to the world around us not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in peace and love may we be a people who are changed by your spirit in order to join you in the work that you are doing in this world so together as a community we pray the words on the screen lord open up When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in all the law was, he said, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This next song is very simple in terms of the words. Those are basically the words. Um, and we're going to sing it in a bit of a round. So we invite you to either soak it in and listen. And I, I trust you'll find it to be an earworm if it gets stuck in your head later on. Don't say I didn't warn you. Um, but if you would like to join us in singing it, at some point we will be each singing different things, Bev, Rod, and I. Um, so follow Rod if you want to go with the words that are on the screen. If you feel brave and you want to sing what Bev is singing or what I'm singing, go ahead and do that. Or like I said, just sit back and enjoy it. Let the words and the music soak over you.
together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Betsy Bruins. I am the Minister of Children and Families here at Fellowship. And this time during the year, we celebrate a lot of different transitions and graduations, right? From college, from high school, but also from fifth grade going into sixth grade, going into middle school. It's a pretty big deal for kids. Um, we here at church, we know it's academically a change and socially, but also it's spiritually a time where kids can do a lot more and different types of ministries. And we are inviting all the kids who are in fifth grade going into sixth, they are actually el eligible now to do all kinds of things with the middle school youth group already, and a lot of them have already plugged in. So um, what we do every year is we give each of these fifth graders a Bible, and we hope that they use it in all the, their different camps, if they go to um, Geneva or Cranhill, or perhaps hopefully they'll be going on a mission trip with the middle schoolers or with the high schoolers someday in the future. Um, and if they could use this Bible to, that we give them, how neat that would be. We give them a black leather Bible. We hope it lasts years and years. It's kind of a, a thinner Bible. It's called a thin line Bible because we figure it's great for packing away and tucking, but yet it's not too small that they can't read the font. So I would like to read the list of the um, kids who are in fifth grade who will be graduating into sixth grade. Braden Barraza, Bristol DeVries, Davis Dealman, Stella Gall, Abby Garcia, Maddie Grazan, Camden Clausen, Adam McMichael, Braxton New, Eva Skipper, and Eden Slager. 
And if any of you are here today, which I know about six of them are here, if you could all come up to the front of the stage, that would be lovely. Thank you. Come on down. I'm going to do a little prayer over you guys. Stand, stay standing so they can see you. They want to see you guys. Stella right here. You can be on the side. Braden, come this way. So if everyone would pray with me, that would be great. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for each of these fifth graders. We were blessed to have them in children's ministries for all these years. Now please bless them all as they go into middle school ministries and as they continue on their journey of faith with you. Lord, be with them this summer and into the fall as they transition into sixth grade. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. And um, you'll see every one of them on the screen now as we do a slideshow. This was six of the 11 kids, so thanks for coming up, you guys. You can have a seat. We're going to see a slideshow with all the rest. As we, and as we sing this song, I invite you, if you are comfortable, to extend a hand of blessing towards the kids on the screen. In a moment, I will invite our kids who are ages three years through eighth grade to be dismissed to Sunday school. But first, I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And it is because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. So the peace of Christ be with you. Our kids are dismissed to Sunday school. Would you share a sign of that peace to your neighbor?
hey, look out, middle school youth group. You got two pastor's kids joining you next year. Come on. I am Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors and a proud parent of a fifth grader, and I uh, am grateful that you are here with us this morning. Our mission at Fellowship Church is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or if you're visiting with us, first off, welcome. We are so glad that you came to join us. And second, if you'd like to make yourself known to us, we do have these connection cards that are available in the gathering place for folks uh, to fill out and that we might uh, get to know you a little bit more better. At Fellowship, we like to talk about how we seek places and uh, to be a people that belongs, grows, and serves together. And I have a number of ways in which we can do that in the coming weeks uh, in a really practical ways. One is that we can belong, you might say, tonight at a hymn sing, uh, old-fashioned hymn sing right here in the sanctuary along with an ice cream social following. Join us uh, this evening at uh, 6.30 uh, for that. Uh, that'll be right here. We also, as a community, seek to grow and also facilitate uh, an environment where the Spirit can grow in us uh, a new love for God and love for neighbors. And one of the ways in which we uh, try to help our students form uh, that is these summer experiences that Betsy alluded to. And next Sunday, we are going to do a little fundraiser. It's going to be a picnic-y, lunch-provided, outdoor games, fun stuff, but also a way for us to support and encourage uh, our middle school and high school students as they head off on their um, summer experiences. So uh, join us next Sunday for that. It'll be a fun uh, event, but also uh, provide, uh, hopefully, some funds to help make sure that those summer experiences can happen. We also, uh, as a community, seek to serve, uh, serve with one another and serve our greater community. So one of the, of the things that we're going to do next Saturday is that there are a few p people within our fellowship family who have a hard time uh, keeping their yards, getting their yards ready for spring, cleaning up, raking up leaves and such. Um, and so... We're going to do a little spring cleanup. If you'd be willing to share a couple hours of your time next Saturday, there's a sign-up uh, in the Welcome Center uh, that you can join our deacons uh, in doing that next Saturday on the 21st. And also, uh, there's lots of sign-ups in the Gathering Place uh, atrium area, and another one of them uh, that Karen Donker uh, will be standing by is our Meet Up and Eat Up. This is a really, really cool ministry where we partner uh, with a local agency uh, in providing food for folks, uh, students uh, in our community that might not have access to the same lunch uh, that they do during the school year, uh, but then our church comes alongside of that program and uh, provides uh, some enriching opportunities and games, uh, some fun stuff to do um, with uh, the fellowship family. Uh, so please uh, consider signing up for that in a couple weeks in June. We'd love to have you join us. Whether it be through one of these things uh, or the multitude of other ways in which God is calling us to be a people together, we are all invited to participate in God's work that is happening in and through Fellowship Church. And one way in which we do that is the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, there are offering plates at the back of the sanctuary, and you can also give online to that. Regardless of how you participate, we are also, uh, also all invited uh, to worship God. So let's stand and do that just now.
may be seated. Well, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. I think it's now true that we Hollanders have survived tulip time. Congratulations to Glenn Auerda, wherever you are, and everyone else who participated in it. One of my favorite texts that I got this week was from my good friend Chris Gibson. Take a look. He sent me this photo, and the title behind it said... Just in case you're asked to do my funeral in the near future. <laughs> Isn't that great? Hey, let's pray together. God, as we prepare to open your word again today, and particularly as we consider together the Easter hope of being made new in the way of Jesus, we turn our attention now to the very center of our beings, our hearts. And we join with the psalmist who said, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation and sustain in us a willing spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. It comes to us from Ezekiel chapter 36, where it says this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. But I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow all of my decrees. Then you will live in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we go any further today, I'd like to invite you to consider a question today, a daily choice, really, based on some popular advice. Here's the question. Is it wise 
to trust your heart. Is it wise to trust your heart? I actually want you to have some skin in the game here, so go ahead and tell the person next to you yes or no. Go ahead. Okay, let's do this by show of hands. How many of you said, yes, trust your heart? How many of you said, no, don't trust your heart? (laughs) Very good. If you said no, I'll give you a little rationale. If you said no, I suspect you did so on the grounds of our fallenness, our sinful nature. As it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceptive above all things. Who can understand it? Don't trust it. If we simply consider how all of us are in many ways addicted to something, drink, drug, sex, shopping, the approval of others, winning at all costs, whatever it might be, in each of these cases, trusting your heart is not a good idea, for the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? If, however, you said, yes, trust your heart, you either have really high self-esteem, great confidence in human nature, or you're thinking of a redeemed heart, as we just read about in the text where God gives us a new heart. And if and when our hearts are aligned with the heart of God, then yes, we can trust our hearts, but only to that extent. So there you have it. The answer to the question up there is a solid maybe. In the hopes of adding a little clarity to it today, I want to invite you to consider with me four different types of hearts that are not only in our scriptures, but also in our own chests as we live our lives day to day. There we find broken hearts, hard hearts, renewed hearts, and blazing hearts. Let's start with the one that we perhaps all know a little too well, broken hearts not fun to admit it, but how many of you have ever had a broken heart? Yeah. Maybe it was for you a surprising betrayal or a big dream that was snuffed out, or maybe it was the heartbreak of being ignored or forgotten. I'll never forget the first time I realized that a person I thought was for me was actually against me. Those wounds cut deep. I remember my first infatuation. I thought it was love at the time, but it was an infatuation. Her name was Melissa. As they say in the movies, I gave her my heart, or so I thought. We exchanged notes. I offered her my best self, and we fumbled our way through teenage romance for three weeks. Then one day at a Friday night gathering, she bumped into an old boyfriend and they hit it off like old times. My friends were embarrassed for me, if that gives you a clue of what it was like. She was clearly not giving me her heart in the way that I was giving her mine. And I felt the fool, which is how we often feel when we are betrayed. And I never gave her my heart again. Don't worry, I'm okay. I'm married up. So, (laughs) Rachel's my favorite person in the world. (laughs) But perhaps you noticed as we read the text together, it actually begins with a broken heart. 
And quite sadly, it is actually we the people, the people of God, who have broken God's heart. In verse 17, it says that when they were living in the promised land, the great place given by God, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. You can almost hear the heart of God sigh in that statement. This is, of course, not the first time that we encounter broken hearts in the Bible. In fact, the first appearance of the word heart in the Bible is a twin reference to broken hearts, our hearts and God's heart. It's in Genesis chapter 6, the story of the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it tells us, that God looks down upon the earth and sees that the hearts of people are only evil all the time. That's broken. And God regrets that he has made it, and it says that God's heart was troubled. The story actually continues from there on, and recurringly, it happens again and again. Our hearts are broken, and so is God's. And so the psalmist cries out the same cries that we often do. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord... Will these tragic circumstances continue for us? How long, O Lord? And God calls back, especially through the prophets, to the people who have abandoned him. Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. It's so common that some who study the scriptures deeply with their whole life and career have summarized the scriptures as a book, even history, a set of stories of a vulnerable God a vulnerable God. And they're saying it, even quoting C.S. Lewis, who often says it best. You might know this quote. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Lock it safe in a casket. But know this, in that casket, safe and dark, motionless and airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. And a heart that loves is very often a heart that breaks. Now, can you trust a broken heart? It depends. It depends. If your heart, if your hurt is driving you towards God and towards trusted others, then maybe so. But if your heart, your broken heart, if your hurt is driving you away from God and causing you to want to multiply hurts through retaliation or something else like that, then probably no. A broken heart is actually for us an invitation to discernment, where we ask, what's wrong? And what is God up to in it? The good news, of course, of a broken heart is that it cracks because it cares. And this is true of both God and us. Which brings us to the second type of heart to consider today, the one that's a little bit worse than a broken heart, an unbreakable one, a hard heart. I don't know if anybody here today wants to admit it at all, but I'll ask anyways. Have you ever had a hard heart? Yeah, some hands out there. Let me give an example from my own marriage. 
One of the chores I sometimes do is vacuuming, but I'm not a very good vacuumer. I have a tendency to vacuum around stuff rather than moving it in order to vacuum underneath it, and this drives my wife nuts, and I know it. Now, a tender heart would recognize what she wants me to do and do it, at least out of love for her. But sometimes I do it my way regardless. And she notices. And I get defensive. And it's an exercise in hard-heartedness, right? You guys are on her side, I can tell. (laughs) You should be. Back to the text. Perhaps you noticed in verse 20 of the text we just read together, There is some evidence of a hard heart. It simply says, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, wherever they went. And that's true because a hard heart just doesn't care, right? In fact, the definition of a hard heart, a hard heart is one that is dead to God and stone cold towards others. If there, were a war, if there were an award given to a person in the world who is possibly most famous for having a hard heart, you know who it might be? The Pharaoh of Egypt, whose story is told in Exodus chapter 4 through 14. In fact, the story is long because 10 plagues happen, and they keep on happening because Pharaoh recurringly has a hard heart. And the big question For him then, and even for us now, when it comes to having a hard heart, is this. Who done it? Who done it? And why? So I did the nerdy thing of kind of tallying the story of this Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. And it turns out that approximately 10 times the Bible tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Interesting. And another 10 times, approximately, it tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And yet another approximately 10 times, it tells us neutrally that his heart was hard. Now, who cares? Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I think it actually helps us to understand our own situations when we too sometimes have a hard heart. Sometimes it feels like it's been done to us as if God did it or something else. And in these instances, it's good to call to mind those scriptures like Romans 8, 28, where we remember that God works for good in all circumstances for those who are called according to his purposes. Other times it feels like we've done it to ourselves. It's the accumulation of the decisions we've made, the habits that we have, have made our hearts hard. And still other times, our hard-heartedness just is. It's complex, and there's no easy explanation as to why. Now, can you trust a hard heart? Absolutely not. Come on. Please don't. When I intentionally vacuum poorly, nobody wins. I've sometimes set back to wonder about the Pharaoh, the famous story of hard-heartedness. I wonder if sometime down the road, five or 10 or 20 years later, did he regret it? Did he realize that it actually didn't work for him? I don't know. It doesn't matter. What does matter is whether you and I recognize when we have a hard heart. 
and realize that something's wrong when it is that way in us. A hard heart, after all, is a bad life strategy altogether. Don't trust it. Thanks be to God, God is in the business of giving us new hearts. And that's really the central claim of the text that we've shared together. God is the one who gives us new hearts. And it makes the old saying true. Perhaps you've heard it said that the heart of the matter is very often a matter of the heart. So it is in our text today. It says it in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. God promises to give us a new heart and a new spirit. God promises to exchange for us, remove our heart of stone and give us instead a heart of flesh and God promises to enliven us by his spirit. Which now has me wondering how many of you have ever experienced a deep heart change towards someone or something, even God. Have you ever experienced that? I was hoping I wouldn't see very few hands there. I'm hoping there's lots of you who have experienced it before. That's the kind of radical life transformation that we sometimes don't even know that we want or need, but God gives it anyways. You might be wondering, why doesn't God just leave us alone? I mean, a heart transplant hurts a lot. Can't we just stay the way we are? The most helpful answer I've come across in response to that comes in the form of what's called the intolerable compliment. The intolerable compliment. The compliment is that God loves you. God has always loved us. God loves loving us. But that compliment is occasionally intolerable because God's intent in loving us is to make us more lovely, more lovable. Consider, for example, an artist, perhaps a potter with a lump of clay or a sculptor with a chunk of stone. Certainly, that artist could leave those things alone. They would be unbothered, but they would also be rather unspecial, wouldn't they? If, however, the piece of art is destined for some kind of greatness, the artist will take endless trouble and give endless trouble in order to make it wonderful. In the artist's studio, to fuss with a thing less is actually to love it less, not more. We actually do the same thing with dogs. Any dog people in the house, right? A wild dog is actually not that easily lovable. Its fur is messy and dirty and splotchy. It might be quick to growl or bite or steal. It does its business wherever it wants and whenever it wants, right? But when a family opts to love a dog, they take it into their house, they wash it, they potty train it, they teach it not to bite or steal, and in doing all of these various things, they are actually making the dog more lovable and more lovely. Now to the puppy, of course, this all feels terrible, right? And yet it is the full-grown, fully trained dog that ends up being larger and healthier than the wild dog, and it has been welcomed into a whole new world of affections and loyalties and interests and comforts that it would not have known unless it was so loved. You'll notice that we do this with dogs because they are so nearly lovable. We don't house train earwigs. 
We don't give baths to centipedes. We leave those things alone, which brings us right back to the intolerable compliment. God loves us. God has always loved us. God loves loving us. And God's intent in loving us is to make us more lovely and more lovable. And so God gives us new hearts. Now, can you trust a heart that is in process? Well, that just might be the wrong question. In the midst of a heart transplant, pay attention to your heart, but trusting your heart is actually not the point. Trust God, the great physician, and trust the process, for you're not the first one that God has ever worked on. In fact, in God's hands, there's nowhere better to be. We trust God. One type of heart, however, remains, and it's actually on the far side of the ones we've already considered, on the far side of a broken heart, on the far side of a hard heart, on the far side of a renewed heart is a blazing heart. I'm thinking now of those moments in life in which you've never felt more alive, where you're in that place where you'd rather be nowhere else in the entire world. We get glimpses of this kind of heart aflame in our various moments of life, those moments of rapture, those moments of adventure, those moments of transcendence, even absent of God. But these are mere shadows of what we were made for, and our heart's true home is a blazing fellowship with God. The passage for today, Ezekiel 36, describes it rather commonly as the Bible does often, where we are God's people and God is our God. A wonderful fellowship. So one more time, show of hands, how many of you have ever had your heart set ablaze by fellowship with God? I hope so. One of the great stories in the Bible about a heart set ablaze is in the resurrection stories of Jesus as he is walking on the road to Emmaus. In that scene, a few common folk are simply doing what they do, walking from one town to another, and they are discussing the events of the day. You might even say that they're discussing the daily news at that time, and it just so happens that at that time, the daily news was Jesus and the events of his life. They knew some things of him. They knew that he was a godly man who died a criminal's death and whose tomb was then found empty. And they're trying to sort out what all of it means. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up in their midst and he walks and talks with them on the way, even though they, they don't recognize that it's him at first. But as they walk and talk, they lose all track of time and they have one of those moments where there's nowhere else in the world that you'd rather be than in that very place at that very moment. And afterwards, they recognize that it was indeed Jesus who was with them in that moment and they describe it by saying, were not our hearts burning within us as we were with him? What they experienced in that moment was the fellowship of the burning hearts. And it still happens today. I hope that you have experienced it. It's the opposite of a kind of numbness or apathy. It's the opposite of a kind of grumpiness or anxiousness. 
It's a bit more like fire, which is mysterious to us, and yet it is some kind of combustible combination of things like adrenaline and insight and delight. In the fellowship of the burning hearts, we find that joy is not a prerequisite to a life of discipleship unto Jesus. Joy is not a prerequisite to being made new. It's a consequence. It's a consequence. In the words of the Westminster Confession, I hope you've known these before, it's speaking of the fellowship of the burning hearts when it asks its first and most important question. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the whole point of this thing called life? And the answer it gives is that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the fellowship of the burning hearts. It's what we were made for. So now if we return to the original question, I'll ask it one more time. Is it wise to trust your heart? Maybe. If today your heart is broken, then the time is ripe for discernment. Ask yourself, what's wrong? And where is God in it? If your heart today is hard, if you can even identify it as so, then by all means, don't trust it. Good gracious. If your heart today is being made new by God, then trust God and trust the process even more than you trust yourself. And if today your heart is set ablaze by fellowship with God, then by all means, follow that heart wherever it leads you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, in our response this morning to what we have heard and how God is speaking to our hearts, I invite you to stand and we'll sing together of the resurrected Christ in praise of the only one who can make our hearts new.
So friends, as you go from this place to live a made new life as God gives it, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.